Yahweh again, the opportunity to share your truth, knowledge, and wisdom. Father God, thank you for allowing me to go into your treasury to draw out these gems and share it with brothers and sisters. For they that have an ear, let them hear and be drawn in closer relationship to hear and learn <clears throat> and desire to be changed by believing that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. <clears throat> Pardon me. And have faith in you, Father God. And follow in the steps of the Holy Spirit to guide us. Abba Yahweh Aman. Aman. Sorry about that little... The devil loves to interrupt any way he possibly can when I'm getting into the spirit of the word. We're going to jump over... I've been reading through the Acts of the Apostles. Um, and some may wonder, I, I wondered why they go from being disciples to apostles. And it's really not a real powerfully important issue in that <clears throat> they're the, still the same um, in a manner. But um, apostles were sent as it were, to the missions. They were called apostles when they went out and teaching and sharing and spreading the word out. And disciples were more relevant to being the students. So the 12 initially that Jesus chose and brought and were teaching him, and they, they always called them rabbi or teacher or master. And those original 12 in that group they were his disciples. They were learning. They were being taught. They were learning the discipline of prayer and studying the word and staying in the word. And some became very, um, as I shared this word, I love the word, actually, uh, have come to love the word dogmatic as John. There were others that were, but John was very much so. Um, he was approached by an elder of one of the churches that he went to and, and he was asked to preach about something else because you always preach about love, God's love, 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 love. You always preach about that and we want to hear something else. Uh, John acquiesced for a moment's time and then he started into the sermon and the sharing and then went right back into God's love and how important it is. Well, he was very dogmatic about that because this is this was given of Jesus, our Lord, our Christ, anointed of God, when he was when he was asked by the Sanhedrin, when standing before him, and then you had one of the um, it was one of their lawyers who thought that he was so smart and tried to twist the words around, but Jesus said that the first and foremost important commandment is to love thy Lord, thy God, with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all your mind, just to, to put that focus in your body, to take that into your body and focus on that. And then they asked him what would be the next most important one. And Jesus said to love thy neighbor in much the same manner to love thy neighbor as love yourself 
and to show out that love that God has put into us and directed us to do that thing. So John began preaching about love again. And John's sermons were rather lengthy. Um, You had one example in the book of Acts where Stephen is uh, actually preaching and teaching and sharing. And you had the uh, young man who fell asleep in the window. Euphelius, I can't pronounce his name correctly. And uh, he fell asleep in a window and fell out. And he thought he was dead. But the thing of it is that they preach that thing. And and people want to hear this. John was preaching. And they asked him to preach about something else. And then he turned and he went right back into the love. God's love. Showing out God's love. And what we have to do to share that with others. And show them that thing that God has given to us. And that we are to show that out. We are told that we're to do that. And John's sermon went hours went hours and hours people were were napping and people got up and they went to get food but they came back they came back to hear more of the sermon hours he'd taught on this thing i think it went three hours there are people that took a, a meal break but they came back i think it's kind of sad um where things have become so tied to the clock now that we have become that way. And I understand that pastors in the churches today, churches of this day that we're in, that they want to... um, It's a hard position, okay? It's kind of like Abraham Lincoln when when he was speaking. He said, you can't please all the people all the time, so you please most of the people. You know, it is... uh, It's not the exact quote course you know i cut off the end of it but you can't please all of the people all the time no matter what a pastor says no matter how kind he is no matter how loving someone is going to find something to be bothered about and if the pastor goes a little bit over time oh my gosh i have been in churches where that went and and had a throng of people that gathered to in the about the pastor and to the other elders and said, "Hey, man, he went fifteen minutes over time. I have things I have to excuse me. You have things you have to get done, and he went fifteen minutes over time, so that you were inconvenienced by fifteen minutes." Let me share something with some of you folks that have that attitude in you. And there are those of you out there that do. And if you're offended, then you better get right. Don't get offended and get all jacked up at me. Because the word of God is where this comes from. And his truth is this. You repent of that. Because here's the deal. Jesus, the only begotten son of God, our Christ, who is anointed of God to come for me and die on the cross and bleed for me, He didn't complain about extra time. You think that it was easy for him to know that this was going to happen to him? And he did. Trust me in this. The scripture says so. He knew what was coming. He was not wholly comfortable with it. And there were times he went up and he prayed on his own. And he had to pray for strength of the spirit to, to guide him and keep him steadfast.
He was praying often. And he would leave the disciples often to walk out on his own and talk to his father for strength. You think that it was easy for him to be here knowing that he was going to be crucified? He knew. He knew from the outset that this was going to happen. Do you not remember that when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane that he said, Father, Father, if this cup can be taken from me, and then he turned around in nearly the same breath and said, no, your will be done and not mine. He knew what was coming. And it was not a comfortable thing. But he didn't complain about having to take extra time. And he didn't complain to have to go over here. He came and he died for me. And yet there are those of you that have the audacity the audacity to complain to the pastor because he takes some extra time behind the pulpit to share the word of God and you miss the kickoff of the game. Isn't that pretty pathetic that you put the kickoff over the finishing game or that you have guests coming over to watch a playoff or to play cards or something like that and you put their priority over that of the sovereign God and the word of God. That's pretty sad. Pretty sad. Pathetic, actually. Stephen, if you go to the book of Acts and you read through the Acts of the Apostles, you will see that many, you see that many times members of the Sanhedrin they came and they tried to take their and put hands on the disciples as well um, you have an example here that uh, There was a time here where uh, Peter and John were uh, preaching in Jerusalem and Annas and the high priest Caiaphas and John is uh, a member of the high priest. Um, they were in Jerusalem and they took the disciples who were preaching Jesus' name. And they took him and sent him down in the middle and they were questioning him by what authority and what power that they do these things. And, of course, Peter. <laughs> Peter filled with the Holy Ghost and he unloaded as you would, I would say, a double barrel on these. And he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And this is in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good and deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, and even by him doth this man stand before ye whole. 
This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And when all those elders, they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they were able to perceive that these were not men that had gone and got the degrees and the education that they did. They, these, these guys who were so arrogant and so full of themselves, they had gone to schools and everybody else. And, and this is part of the thing that I, I perceive, may be wrong, but my perception is that they were partially angry with the disciples because the disciples were not <clears throat> formally educated except for Matthew and Luke. And I think there was one other that went to formal schooling. And Matthew skipped ahead quickly. And Luke was a physician. But here is uh, in Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. It was evident that they had been with Jesus and learned what the words from the Holy Spirit were leading to them. And they knew that these men had not been to formal education. They, they realized these were fishermen. They spent their lives on the boat. They spent their lives around the docks. They talked like fishermen. They, at one time before they got with Jesus, they probably cussed like a drunken sailor. Went to the pubs, drank, hung out with the other fishermen. I'm fairly certain that that did happen. It did occur. And they also saw, and it says uh, further in verse 14, and beholding the man which was healed standing with him, they could say nothing against it. They would call that empirical evidence. There is nothing that they could argue against it. The man that was healed, and he's standing right there, and they knew that historically he had been lame, and he was begging at the gate for alms, and was healed, and is now standing on his feet before them. How are they going to argue that? And then you had others in the city. How are they going to argue against that? Because then the people would rise up. So they were afraid of that, also, but then they told them to go outside and they were going to take counsel among themselves. What shall we do to the end further in verse 16? What shall we do to these men? For what indeed a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it but that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing 
how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was shewn. So this council, from the time that Jesus was taken in the garden, from the time that Judas Iscariot came and kissed him on the cheek, and from the time that the Romans and the Herodians and the captains of the temple guards, so you had three separate yet unified organizations. You had the Romans who for political issues, had a problem with Jesus, and it was getting out of hand because they were afraid of what the Jews would do. Now, see, here's something interesting. Let's, let's digress a little bit. Let's go back to Egypt. They were fearful of the Jews of Israel because their numbers were so huge. Numbers were massive numbers. So they put them into bondage slavery, and made them do hard labor work so that they would just wear them out and keep them wore out so that they could have control over them. They feared their numbers. Then you have Joshua when they went down into Jericho and you had the, uh, the prostitute, Rahab. She met them. She knew who they were. She said, we know who you are. We know that your God walks with you. We know that he guides you. We know that you have a purpose. We know that your God is going to allow this. We know that he has brought you and we are afraid. And we know that you're gonna take the city. So I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna protect you, but you have to help my family. And she let down the scarlet cord. And of course, when... Uh, when they came, her and her family were saved. And they came in and repented and, and she was saved in more than just the physical nature of being taken from the city. Numbers are feared. And here in this temple situation with Peter and John speaking, they were afraid of all the people. And then just like they did with Jesus. So as I say, the, the, the Romans, they had this political issue going on. And then you had the Herodians where the, uh, Herod was the regional, he was, in, he was of Israel, but they didn't like him because he was so hateful and so cruel. And, and you remember that he whacked off John the baptizer's head. And they had this issue going on. And John the baptizer kept going to him and his brother, and they had issues because they kept marrying sisters and things like that. And John went into them and told them what's up with that. They didn't like it. They didn't want to be chastised by some guy who was running around in animal skins and eating locusts and wild honey. They didn't like hearing that. Well, he was telling them the truth. And these priests and these elders here, they didn't like hearing the truth. And they didn't like hearing that. So they were always looking for some way because these men followed the teaching of Jesus Christ, who they crucified. And Peter called them out on that. Remember, Peter called them out on that. 
And you will see that in Acts 2, verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of ye, midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, and what I should not on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad, moreover as my flesh shall rest in hope. Chastising this counsel that set themselves above they set themselves above everyone in their arrogance. And, and here you have, uh, Annas had testified that these men have something. They are not learned men. They didn't go to school like we did. And here comes their arrogance out of that. He perceived that they were not educated. They were ignorant. Fishermen. But they spoke with power and authority. The same power and authority, by the way, that Jesus gives us. We have the same power and authority. And I've shared it with you before. I will share it with you again because, because, simply because. And I will be honest that I sometimes forget this and and, uh, I'm repentant of the fact that I do because this authority is very important is very important. And this is in uh, Luke 10, verse 19. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So, brothers and sisters, I share with you now that we have that same authority that is given to us by our Lord Jesus, the Christ, who came and died for me and died for you. That doesn't mean that we're going to float six and eight inches above the ground and float everywhere we go. That's not what that means. What it does mean is that we have authority and we should have faith in that authority and that we walk by faith and not by sight. Because those things that we see on this physical plane of existence are not holy reality. You'll say, well, what the heck does that mean? Well, that means that we are in a spiritual warfare. The scriptures tell us that very thing. And why do you think that God has created a suit of armor for us, the spiritual armor? Because we are in a spiritual warfare. And if you listen to those that say that, oh, we don't have to do anything because the Holy Spirit takes care of everything. We win in the end. Well, 
Ultimately, at the end of the conflict, yes, the Lord does defeat those enemies. However, what about the intermittent time that you're walking in this plane of existence and you are trying to do all the things you're supposed to do and you think that every single time that you turn a corner that the Holy Spirit's going to come up and bonk you on the top of the head with a little magic wand like the fairy on uh, Disney the wonderful world of Disney, I remember, I thought was so fascinated that those little would come in there and they would, it appeared that they were touching the screen. And then when we got our first color television, oh my goodness gracious, and then all those colors exploded everywhere. And the first time I saw that in color, I was so overwhelmed. Well, it doesn't happen that way. The Holy Spirit will touch you, but you are in this plane of existence and you will walk in this plane of existence and you must be resistant, have faith in God, follow the Holy Spirit and put on, we're told and reminded to put on the full armor of God. And one of the preeminent parts of that suit of armor is the helmet of salvation. And why is that so important? Well, let me share this with you because Our minds are the weakest point of attack and Satan knows that. It doesn't matter what you think you know. It doesn't matter that your intellectual pride, look at the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. They thought that they were so smart because they had education. And yet these fishermen came in and spoke with power and authority that they could do nothing. They were fearful to put their hands on them because the authority that they spoke with and the people were listening and believing and many touched and saved and many touched and healed. And this man that they touched who had been lame for such a long time was standing on his feet in the midst with them by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And they could do nothing. They, could, they couldn't dissuade anyone from seeing anything other than the truth. And the truth is that the power and authority that Jesus has given to us. And that no matter what your intellectual prowess is, the weakest point of attack is the mind. The thought process. And these Pharisees that thought that they were so almighty powerful and that they knew so much more. They were being infiltrated and the white noise interference was pouring into them. And they were guzzling this so much that they turned and initially they put their hands on Jesus and crucified him. They took Stephen and they stoned him to death. And they were looking for others to do the same thing. They were looking to put their hands on Peter and John who were out testifying. And the other disciples. And they had hired Saul to hunt down those who were claiming to follow that were in the way. Remember, the way is what they used to call Christians before they became Christian, before they adopted that. They were in the way, the way of Jesus, the way of his teaching, the way of his word. It was called the way, and that's what they were. Now to the Sanhedrin and to those political aspiring to be something more than what they really were, kind of like what we have going on today. 
And you have those individuals that say that the word needs to be rewritten. Why? It's the same yesterday, today, as it will always be. You will have those with political aspirations that think that the word of God is a detriment to their agenda. Saul hunted them, burned out their houses where they met, took some into captivity to turn them over to the Romans. He was at the stoning of Stephen and was guarding their cloaks while they threw rocks at him, stoned him to death. And then, of course, Saul, on his way to Damascus, was knocked off his donkey into the middle of the road. And then the Spirit of the Lord came, standing over him. Saul, Saul, why persecuteth thou me? And then he was sent on his way, and he had what appeared to be scales over his eyes, and he was blinded for three days. And when Ananias touched him and healed him of that, what appeared to be scales fell from his eyes, and he could then see. We have to be aware of these things. In Ephesians Verse 4. This is very important. In verse 423, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and have true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. That we are of a like-mindedness. This is what I've shared with you. I have shared with you before. And that the confirmation that I receive when I go to church isn't to say, oh, you know, pat me on the back of the shoulder saying, attaboy, Raven, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. It's got nothing to do with that. Correctness is good, but it means that I am on the right path and the right steps and going the right direction and like-mindedness. And as I've shared with you, that I don't call up and conference call these people I've got one who is clear up, uh, where is he? Oh, the one church is in San Diego, California. Then I have another one that's in Chicago. And then I have another pastor that I follow. His mentoring and teaching is in uh, Houston, Texas. And then I have another one that I follow. And when I get confirmation... And the confirmation is that when I study the readings and study the word that that they're all sharing, it's all the same. If they're not the exact same scriptures that I've been pouring over and studying, 
They are a similar passage from another book that is a sidebar note to go to that scripture and see what that has to say, and that happens to be the one that they're teaching from. That is confirmation, brothers and sisters, confirmation that we are being like-minded and following what God has to share with us and what God has to say. I am thrilled that that is happening. I am thrilled that God is appreciative of what I am doing. I am thrilled that God says, good, go, go, go for it, go for it, go, 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 keep going, 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 going. That's what the confirmation is about. It isn't about, yeah, I'm right, I'm right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got nothing to do with that. Notice here, let me share with you again. If you notice that I've taken my name off of this thing, this, this podcast that I'm sharing here now, it isn't mine. And I prayed to God, I said, if this is right and this is confirmed by you, Father God, and you believe that this is a good way for me to be able to share your word and to reach out and put your word out, then you make it happen because I couldn't figure out how to do it. And it was going to cost so much money to get it done. I'm talking about literally thousands of dollars to get the equipment, to get uh, uh, production equipment, um, recording equipment, all this stuff, and special speakers and all this to keep background noise and things out. And, and it was going to be very expensive. And after I prayed that prayer, I went to the same page looking for this material. And there was a symbol that showed up. And if any of you uh, do this and they, you, go to, uh, you go to Facebook and you see that squiggle line, of course, uh, the heading foe is the line of tribe of Judah in profile. And behind him is a silhouetted figure of Jesus with the thorn, thorny crown because it's one and the same. And it's called anchor. And it's very, it, for me, it's profound because we are to be anchored in the word. We are to be anchored <clears throat> to the stone and that uh, anchored to the rock and that rock is Jesus. And I've shared this with you before that when Israel was going through the wilderness, every time that Moses went to get them water, it was from a rock. Moses went to the rock and he touched a rock with a staff and water poured forth and gave enough for everyone to drink. You know what the multitude was like and how much water had to come out of that rock? There were thousands of people, thousands of people, not all of them were from the land of Israel. But they said, hey, we're not gonna stay here. Israel's going, we're gonna go with them because they got something happening. I should go back and, and get the mathematical number because it's way over 600,000 people. We're talking about a whole lot of people that were in bondage in Egypt. Not holy bondage, but some of them were staying there and they were um, housekeepers and things like that. But then you had those that uh, were in bondage, actual bondage, because they feared Israel. And that's what happened when the, the first Pharaoh died that sent them to the land of Goshen and they were accepted. And when Joseph brought the family, but then they were put into bondage because they feared them. There were so many that they were afraid of them, that they would uprise and take over the nation of Egypt. But the point of it is, is that the rock, all these things, and this podcast that God has allowed me to share anchored 
anchored in the truth. I, I took my name off of it because it's not me. I, I, was, um, I didn't want individuals to think that this was about me. It's not about me. This is not about me. It's simply called anchored, and I had my name attached. My name is gone. The haven of truth anchored in the word of God because that's where it comes from. And what I share, what I speak is from his truth, his knowledge, and his wisdom. This is not about me. This is to glorify God, the gospel of God the Father, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, and the Holy Spirit. And for those that are hearing, that have spiritual hearing, hear and understand what I say. And for those of you that are curious and you don't know what you want to do, simply find somebody that can pray with you or you can pray on your own. And it's really simple to do. It really, really is. In the name of Jesus, I come before you, Father God, the maker of all things made, that I want to have faith in you. I want to believe that Jesus Christ is your only begotten Son, and I want the Holy Spirit to guide my steps. I ask now that, Jesus, you come into my heart, you change my life, and you guide me. You teach me. You lead me. And I will have faith in you, God, because you tell me to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all it takes. You don't have to have pomp and circumstance. You don't have to have a parade going up and down the center aisle of the church. Some people like that, and some people do, and some churches are also very quiet in the way they do it. They just invite people to come down, and people step out, and they go down the aisle, and they go to the front. <clears throat> and it's a quiet sort of a thing. And some people get a little intimidated by going down and having to stand out in front of all the people, and that's fine. You don't have to do that. You can stay in your seat, and, and you look, maybe you were sitting next to somebody, and, and they're a very good acquaintance of yours. So you stay with them, and you ask them to pray with you. Or you can do so when you get home. You can do that. It's wholly acceptable to God that you just come before him, in the name of Jesus, because none come to the Father save through the Son. God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. He told me to come this way. I come and I thank you for taking audience with me and hearing my, my prayer that I want Jesus in my life. I want my life to change. I want to be whole. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit in my walk. And I want that strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Very simple. But here's an important thing. So, Paul is writing to the Hebrews. And the, this is important. That uh, I'm going to go ahead and read 13 because that's an important thing to do. Because that's what the Holy Spirit has told me to do. So in Hebrews 13, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For themselves some have entered, thereby some have entertained angels. 
unawares. I may have shared this with you before, but brothers and sisters, let me tell you, they walk amongst us. We're just not certain, and we don't know for certain, but for a purpose that is beyond our understanding, and we don't know that God sends, and for a purpose that he allows them to be seen by individuals. But they're not, for whatever reason, God has allowed to be allowed me to see both on that spiritual plane of existence, their appearance, and for whatever purpose he had, was to encourage and lift me up that he allowed me to see also the way they are when he sends them to us. Because quite honestly, if we saw how they were on the spiritual plane, it would frighten people. And I have been blessed And he honored me by allowing me to see in both sides. It's real. It's true. It's his truth and his wisdom. And we don't know why or what. And we do not have authority. Jesus gave us authority. But he did not give us the authority to question God's intent or purpose. We may question in a way that Ask for his guidance. My Lord, I'm not sure what you're doing. Can you show me? Will you show me through the Holy Spirit? Guide me to this. But you don't have the authority to stand audaciously with arrogance in front of him and demand that he clarify to you because you are not sovereign Lord God Almighty. Keep that in mind. And we are told to come before the Lord humbly. God does not mind that we question He does not mind that as long as we do it in a humble way and we do so as a child of God. You never, I would never, I would never consider coming in my household and speaking to God or speaking to my earthly father in an arrogant manner and thinking that I had more going than he did. He was the head of the house, paid my bills and kept clothes on my back and I was going to school. That was my earthly father and that was it. And one thing that we have to remember is that we have to remember remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. What does that mean? That means, are they doing what they're saying? They teach and they share, but are they ultimately, when they're finished and they exit that church building or wherever you're having your meeting, are they doing what they're speaking Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not not profited them that have been occupied therein. That's exactly what that means, that we follow the word, Jesus Christ. 
that we not be tempted to follow these other doctrines which haven't been tried and that these individuals are speaking without following what they're saying to do. Basically, they're saying, do as I say and not as I do. Don't pay any attention to what I'm doing. That doesn't matter. Well, that's false doctrine. That's false teaching. And that is outright lie. We need to be aware of what we're saying and what we're showing and what we're doing, that we show out that thing which God has put into us. And in Hebrews 13, 15, I'm going to share this. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. Remember, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And praise is a form of sacrifice. And that we need to do that on a daily basis. We take an opportunity, we take time away from whatever we have on our schedule or what we think is our agenda is more important. We take that time, we offer up praise to God, thanking him for even being allowed to do that. We should remember to do that because... Without him, there is no existence. Keep this in mind, that when we get up in the morning, we need to thank God for the breath that he gives us in our lungs. We need to thank him for everything that we have is from him anyway. Don't take for granted these things. Don't take for granted getting up, breathing in, breathing out. For by his grace we are saved. By his mercy we are able to continue. Don't take for granted and think that you're going to get up every single day and that it is an automatic thing and that it's not your time. Think that you have some control over when you are going to leave this plane of existence. God says when I leave. God determines when I'm finished. And I share this with some people and they might think that it's arrogant. I don't care. Think whatever you like. Remember, your validation is not what matters to me. The validation of my Lord, my God, is what matters. And if he tells me that I am invincible until he decides it's time for me to go, then I am invincible until it's time for me to go. Period. And until he tells me it's time, I am. God decides when I'm ready to go. God makes that decision. And like the pastor sort of, it was a, I don't think it was, a, I think it was kind of a, a rhetorical question or one that he wasn't really looking for an answer, but he asked us, where, where are you going to be in, in 40 years? You know, cause I think they were talking about something in age and I, I hollered out heaven. I'm 65, and 40 years from now, I'm going to be 105 years old. However, if God decides that he wants to keep me here, that age and beyond, I will be here that age and beyond. Period. 
It's not my determination. I look forward to going home. Remember, I've shared this with you before, and I'll share it with you again. Billy Graham said this, and I'm here on a work visa. My home is in heaven. I'm just traveling through this world. Pastor Billy Graham, quote, unquote. I'm here on a work visa. I'm about my father's business. And when I am finished, or when he decides that I'm finished and have shared enough, and that I'm, he wants me to come home, that's when I go home. And sometimes there may come, and there's going to come a time, I don't doubt it, because like in the Bible, they went and laid hands on, on those that were, they stoned Stephen because he was saying things that bothered them because their arrogant minds, who's he think he is? And they crucified our Lord Jesus Christ. They thought, who's he think he is? He's a, he's a carpenter's son from Nazareth. He didn't go and get formal education like we do. Except for those, there were those that were marveling at what he taught. And when he was a child and got lost and separated from his mother and father, when they were going back to Egypt, he got separated from the caravan for several days. And they came back and they found him. Where was he? He was teaching in the temple. He had taken the scrolls and was teaching them who were teachers. They were amazed at his authority. And when his mother asked him what he thought he was doing, he said, I was about my father's business. I am about my father's business. And as long as he is pleased with what I'm doing, that's all that matters. I don't care what anyone else says. I don't care because the validation comes from HSU Chancellor. Heaven sent university chancellor is Lord God Almighty. Vice Chancellor would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And his counselor and dean of instruction is the Holy Spirit. That's where my validation comes from. Not from you. Not from anyone else in physicality. I would, I guess, on this plane of existence, I would like to have a theological degree. But involved in many, many things. So the knowledge and the truth and the wisdom that God shares with me, which I prayed for, and he has blessed me that, that's a good thing. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers, my going out, my coming in. You have a blessed day. Stay in the word.